Thursday, the 2nd of November, 1 o'clock on the East Coast. G-Swiz here, Dan Nathan there, EY from SoFi, backstage. And if it's Thursday, Dan, it's Butters. That would be John Butters. He's the Senior Earnings Insight Analyst from FactSet, and he's going to have a little preview for us of his Earnings Insight blog. That if drops. it's Thursday, it's Butters. It drops on your inbox on Fridays, but yeah. we have access to it. Yeah, we do. Early because we're special. Yeah, Rangers yeah. play tonight back home against the Canes, as they say. Yeah. Congratulations to the Texas Rangers. How about that? First title ever, huh? You know, there were six Major mm. League Baseball teams that had not won a World Series. They now there are five. Yeah. Padres of San Diego, Tampa Bay. A couple, I mean, we can rattle them off. Seattle, I believe Seattle. Doesn't matter. Let's look at the rundown. Why is the market higher? Because it's open. But you know what? What happens to stocks when the Fed stops hiking? Elizabeth knows the answer to that. I'm not sure I do. Apple tonight after the bell. Everybody's all geeked up. I'm all the Apple bulls. You got to own it. Don't trade. And the biggest stock moves of the day, without question, there's a lot going on here. I mean, a 30 basis point move in 10-year yeah. yields over the course of maybe five or six trading days or maybe a couple more. Again, amazing what's going on. And I didn't anticipate that move of that magnitude. We had talked about 88 and a half, 89 or so, maybe in the TLT. But it's happened a lot faster than I thought, Dan. Here yeah. we are. I mean, listen, 30 basis points off a, what, 4.9 handle or something like that on the 10-year. I mean, that is significant. And, you know, you could make the argument, Guy, with the S&P up what it is right now today, that it should be up a lot more based on that. We're up 1.5%. We're up 64, um, you know, handles here. We have an S&P that has quickly gone from, what, 4150 to 4300 You know, Let's pull up the chart here. We, we talked about this a little bit yesterday on Market Call. Um, you know, since we've been in this downtrend from 4,600 from the highs in July, the S&P 500, you know, a, mm -hmm. a series of lower highs, a series of lower lows. We sliced through that 200-day moving average. If we go to the next slide, we did this yesterday here. We've had a couple of rallies. We had that one was, uh, you, know, you know, nearly 5% um, a couple months ago. We had a 4% one. Now we're in the throes of nearly a 5% one. I don't know, guy. I mean, like the jury's still out to me, you know, I mean, like what if yields are to kind of firm up here a little bit? What if we are to get some hotter data tomorrow mm -hmm. as it relates to the job? I mean, if, if we have the tenure on its way back towards four, seven, five in, in, in a snap, where's the S&P? Is it higher than here? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, the chart before the one with the channels, I mean, this is the one you really have to look at because this down channel since July is still intact. You just said it series of Lower highs, a series of lower lows that has not been broken. In order for it to be broken, you effectively need to probably close up another 100 or so handles in the S&P. Personally, I don't see it getting there. Obviously, Apple is going to tell the tale later this afternoon. That could give us the much-needed juice to get through that downtrend line. I just don't think yeah. it's going to happen. So people were, excuse me, clearly caught off sides in terms of the bond market. No question about that. I'm being one of them, although I did, again, you know, we had a conversation with Carter earlier this week where we thought, yeah, yields probably are still going higher in the context of the up channel in yields. But with that said, you could probably see yields pull back down to sort of 455, 460. But again, I didn't think it would happen in two trading days. Well, even you, who is a higher yields guy, you agreed with him that, mm -hmm. that this is likely to happen. We're likely to get that sort of retracement. You see that you know steady rise that, that we've been in from those lows you know, earlier in the spring or so. Um, before we get to Liz, I just want to pull up the NASDAQ chart. You just mentioned Apple after the close. You know, to me, you know, Apple obviously holds a key here. I mean, like, like when you think about it, the largest equity in the world, mm -hmm. you know, the stock was trading down, you know, I think at its lows last week, 15% from its July highs. Look 
look at that NASDAQ 100 chart. Look where it bounced, okay? It was kind of that breakout level from earlier in the spring, the rising 200-day moving average, you know, the same sort of downtrend that's been in place. So, you know, we could still rally. The NASDAQ could still rally, pulled up by Apple and get to that downtrend. And it might not be on its, you know, way back towards yeah. the highs in, in a way. So, again, I think yields have a lot to do with what happens next, that next 100 or 150 um you know, points in the S&P or the NASDAQ for that matter. Guy, thoughts on the NASDAQ here? Because again, the S&P is at the level, you know, it's at that 5% sort of rally. It's it's very near that downtrend that's been in place. But if it doesn't breach to the upside in the NASDAQ, I'm not convinced about the broad market. No, I'm not convinced either. I mean, that move down coincided with Apple, I think had a 165 print. NVIDIA traded sub, uh, th sub what, um, 400? Yep. Yeah, yeah, so that- yep. So that was obviously mm -hmm. part of it as well. I mean, a lot of these things sort of lined up for that move. And then we've seen a subsequent bounce on the back of lower yields. That downtrend is still intact. The level we stopped that makes sense. The downtrend is still intact. Can we trade up to it? I guess. But now we've created a little bit of a gap. But the next chart, the yields chart, is really the one yep. that we've talked about and we should look at. I mean, this is the one we discussed with Carter the other day. Again, we I was in agreement with him that, yeah, you could see a move back lower in yields, but no way in my wildest dreams I thought we'd go from, you know, either side of 495 or so down below 4.7% over the course of two trading days. Again, it just goes to show you bond volatility is still alive and well. Yeah, you know, we had David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research on our On the Tape podcast with Danny Moses. We recorded it just a couple hours ago. It's going to drop in your favorite podcast store tomorrow. Check that out. I mean, David, you know, like is pushing back at some narratives about yields. I mean, I think you guys are on, on a different side of the fence as it relates to it. But great conversation um, that we had with him. But I mean, listen. I mean, he thinks yields are going much lower mm -hmm. um, and he thinks that equities are also going to go lower. And so that was a really kind of interesting um, conversation with him. So check that out in your favorite podcast store. All right, guy, let's bring her in to be EY from SoFi. Where is she today? She's in, we don't dox here. Oh. We don't dox on the market call. You know what I mean? Who knows where she is? Yeah, but, good point. Um, We're not, that, but she's I don't here wanna... with us. And that's the most important thing <laughs> anywhere with that, with that fun fun little look at that, look at that backdrop yeah she could be isn't it great you i mean somebody with you guys made this for me yeah well that would be the jacob probably mm. um liz you spent um a lot of time on your note that drops on the sofi blog uh today um on on the fed here i just want to set up before we get to kind of some of your thoughts and, and takeaways from what you thought you heard from fed chair powell the market's reaction the yield reaction all that stuff our good friend peter bookvar over there at bleakly advisors on his book report that uh comes out every day and he's breaking down a, a whole host of different macro stuff he said this and i thought this was interesting if jay powell is now going to be intellectually consistent the fed is done hiking rates if a tightening of financial conditions, aka the raise, uh, the rise in the long-term interest rates, is the reason they are done for now, as he has basically said, really the only reason why he would see a notable drop in long-term rates is if the economy slows a lot, which is when the, the the Fed could be discussing cutting instead. This is basically Rosie's take too, a little mm -hmm. bit. So, love to get your take on that, Liz, and and how you're thinking about just basically what you heard yesterday and what's going on in the market since. 
Well, I think, first of all, they can't confirm that they're done hiking rates because we're not at 2%. And the verbiage that he uses, which I wrote in my blog today, is something along the lines of they need to confirm that they're on a sustainable path toward 2%. They obviously do not feel like that is the case yet, so they're not going to take future hikes off the table. There's also always the risk of some sort of shock or just some movement in supply and demand that takes inflation back up. So they need to leave the door open and not look like they're just being cut and dry about it and done entirely. There also hasn't been a big reason for them to be done verbally, right? We haven't had this terrible slowing in growth yet. We had 4.9% GDP in the third quarter. So there hasn't really been a slowing in some of that economic data that they point to, which is the labor market and growth. So there's not a reason for them to say that yet. I actually think markets would would hear that with a bad ear and, and not enjoy the idea that they had given up at 3.7%. So again, and I've mentioned this before too, if you look at their own projections, even the Fed is projecting that core PCE stays at the same level through the end of the year. So they're not even expecting that much more cooling and in inflation over the next two months, which I think makes perfect sense about why they would leave the door open. The other thing I would say, and we can we can look at this in the note too, I had a section in there that was labeled 2% means 2%. He continues to reiterate they have not considered raising the inflation target, yet market participants continue to speculate that they're going to. And I think we need to listen to him that they're going to either sound hawkish or be more hawkish until and unless that inflation target comes closer into view. So I don't think that we're completely out of the woods yet, but I, I agree with many people out there that it, it's it's looking more and more like July was the last one. Yahoo, uh, I saw Jamie Dimon. We run, and this is his quote. We run the company, J.P. Morgan, so that if there's a 7 or 8% long bond rates, we're going to be fine. We're not guessing for it, but we stress for it. So think about that. I mean, this is consistent with some of the things he said. He also thought that inflation would be stickier, to your point. Again, this is the most important banker in the world making comments somewhat contra to what the market is obviously displaying today. Again, I will tell you, a lot of this move feels like a bit of a massive unwind. You know, maybe the entire hedge fund community and other people got themselves over their skis in terms of being short bonds and some of the other things. And I think there's an unwind going on. But to Liz's point, Dan, I don't think we're out of the woods yet at all in terms of everything she just said that 2% level being somewhat steadfast in the line in the sand. Well, and, and to go back to the rosy conversation too, I mean, again, you know, he thinks rates go lower, you think higher. Look at where the TLT is, okay? So the TLT was trading um, above 87 this morning. It's trading 86.30, so it's down. It's trading at the lows of the day. Um, our friend Doug Cast points that out to us, and I think that is really interesting because what Rosie's point was like, listen, this this bond trade, okay, everybody followed, you know, Bill Ackman mm -hmm. in, you know, into the short yield trade um, and, and or excuse me, the long yield trade, long yield trade. And he actually took that trade off what a couple of weeks ago or something like that. And Rosie made the point. Everyone's going to follow him there, too. Right. At least if you're set up that way. But he, Rosie also made the point without giving too much of it out because you got to go listen to this thing. Um, is that like a big a big point um, in the bond short? was in the futures in the options mm -hmm. okay so i thought that was kind of interesting so we'll check that out liz what do you make of this because if you just look at this chart and you take the tlt name off of it right and mm -hmm. you look at that decline you look at how it's been consolidating you know at multi-year lows here like and you see that sort of gap today but now 
it's kind of giving if they put the date chart on there it's giving all that back what does that tell you about the, the like where near-term rates you know might go uh you know what i mean after such a big move well the funny part is if you put that chart up and took the name off i'd think it was a tech stock and yeah. it, yields are not supposed to move this way. So take the the 20 plus year out of this, even just look at what's happening with twos and tens. Mm -hmm. It's called a, a bull flattener when the 10 year yield falls faster than the two year yield. But don't be fooled by the name. The 10 year yield coming down faster than the two year is not bullish. That's usually signaling that there's some kind of concern over the economic prospects uh, going yeah. forward. So not maybe not something that stocks will react to negatively in the moment, but the the look out ahead six mm -hmm. to 12 months is not promising when that's going on. The two-year yield being stuck where it is still signals that the market is listening to the Fed and that they're not coming off the gas anytime soon. We haven't priced in a cut until at least July of next year, maybe not until later into or early in fall or later into summer. So I happen to think they might have to cut long before the market thinks they do. But the movement in yields, number one, just broad brush strokes, the volatility that we're seeing is not normal and is not healthy. And the movement in yields and the difference between not only the spread between the twos and the tens, but the speed that the 10-year has fallen, regardless of what Bill Ackman has said, the yeah. speed that the 10-year has fallen doesn't really send good signals about economic prospects going forward. No doubt. And 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 let's pull up that two-day TLT again with that gap. Okay. So Guy, question for you. If tomorrow we have hot jobs data, right. okay, and we fill in that gap, Okay, that means yields go back higher. Mm -hmm. S and P's down sixty handles. Well, it, it, like I'm just telling you, on a Friday, it it they're down like that. I well, mean, like like they're understanding. Giving it all back. Right, I agree. Understanding that Apple can you know can mitigate yeah. that to a certain degree, but if you get let's just play it out. If you get a, a mid to you know mid to sort of disappointing Apple release, yeah. the stock is nowhere, and then you get that jobs report that you suggest. Yeah, that makes sense given the move. I mean, think about the move we've seen in the last four or five trading days just in the S&P alone. It's yep. pretty remarkable. So Elizabeth's point is spot on. It's not a healthy sign to see the bond market move this way. And you can say people followed Ackman in. I'm sure a lot of people were in it long before he was number one. He happened to mention it, obviously, in the beginning of August. And the trade was spectacular. I mean, when he announced that trade, I think 10-year yields were 4.18. Over the next couple of days, they traded below 4%. So it seemingly had rung the bell. And then obviously they were off to the races and his basically exit of the trade was a top tick in terms of yields. Good for him. Good trade. Check changes, they say. But I don't think any of this is necessarily over. But the important point to take away, moves in the 10 year of this magnitude to the downside do not suggest economic strength. It's That's actually right. well, anything I, but. So Liz just said it. Liz, yeah. you said you think. Okay, that the Fed is going to have to lower interest rates long. Isn't this? I'm quoting you accurately. Long before what market expectations are right now, uh, and mm -hmm. I want to go to a chart here that that our team put together. And 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 again, this might make some sense to you. It might make you know. It might not. Thirty years, if you just look at the Fed funds rate. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you see that. So what I really wanted to focus on um, mostly is that periods in which rates were going higher, right? So if you go all the way back into 2000, the Fed start, stopped raising rates early in 2000 or in the first half of the year. And then if you look at the lag, they didn't basically cut rates until January of 2021. Well, the S&P had topped out and to its lows in, in 2000 and 
two, okay, dropped, I think, 58% or something like that, or, you know, got cut in half, basically. Mm -hmm. And then the Fed started raising interest rates, um, again, fairly aggressively after they got pretty low during that protracted bear market and that recession. Um, and then into the mid-2000s, and you see they stopped um, raising interest rates, and I think in late 06, and you see the big lag, they kept them, you know, higher for longer. These are themes, that these are names in terms that we've heard before. But then look what happened. They had to start cutting interest rates, obviously, in two, uh, 2007, 2008, and they got to that zero interest rate bound. The S&P got cut in half again. Okay, well, you see, Fed Chair Powell comes in, 17. They want to start normalizing interest rates. What happens? The stock market drops 20% in a straight mm -hmm. line. We see they stop. Okay, then the black swan event. We, I, I, so you see what I'm getting at here, right? So if Rosie told us that the average period from when the Fed stops raising interest rates to cutting interest rates is about 10 months or so, okay? Puts well, us in May. Yeah. Well, there you go. See that? But do you think that's do you think that's useful or not, guy? Because you can go back and you can say, well, the Fed was raising interest rates back, you know, in the early 90s. They stopped that that sort of thing, but the market kept on going. That's just one instance in like five over the yeah. last 30 well, years. Well, I mean, if you look at the S&P is obviously the the consistent blue line, lower left, upper right. And if you look at sort of the sell-offs, they come in the wake of these moves higher in yield. So, I'm surprised Again, I will continue to say, I'm shocked we haven't seen the downdraft that you've seen historically with rate moves of that magnitude. But it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Liz, what do you what do you make of of this? And, and again, what what are we trying to focus on here? We're trying to focus on the last handful of times over our lifetime in the markets here where the Fed has embarked on aggressive rate cutting, stopped, and then ultimately every mm -hmm. single time it results in aggressive, you know, rate cutting, you know what I mean, after those mm -hmm. periods of hikes. And so, you know, if a lot of folks are basically like saying, okay, well, we got the recession call wrong for 2023, right? Mm -hmm. But it's likely to come in 2024. And then when you think of just all the different sorts of pockets of risk in the system, you have all this kind of private credit. There's a whole host of things that we are not even talking about mm -hmm. yet. Like I guarantee you, Okay, when we start to have some bankruptcies that actually make it to the front page of the Wall Street Journal and in some other instances, and we start seeing, you know, like really hits to the consumer in a way where savings rate is really low and, and credit card debts at all time high and the revolving mm -hmm. rates, you know what I mean? This, like we are going to have so many things to talk about and I'm not talking, <laughs> I'm not like looking forward to like some sort of calamity by any means, but like it's coming and rates are this high and they're likely to go much lower than when that happens. So is that a good time to start buying equities? I don't think so. Uh, okay, there's a lot there. Let me let me slice through down. this a little yeah. bit. Um, so first of all, something happening later is different than something happening never. So mm -hmm. yes, if people were calling for a recession in 2023, wrong. And, and I've been one of them worried about it happening in 2023. So that's been a wrong call. Does that mean that I change my mind and say, you know what, because it didn't happen this year, it's never going to happen? No. I think that this cycle is, as we all know, longer than what we're used to. That chart of the Fed funds rate and the market, it's not, you don't even have to just use our careers, right? Our recent past to think about this conceptually. So you can see in this, and even if you take it back further, you can see that when they raise rates, it seems to take more of an elevator, except for perhaps this time, it seems to take more of an elevator up. Uh, and, it, and it goes down really, 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 I'm sorry, escalator up, elevator down, mm -hmm. goes down really, really fast. Conceptually, why does that happen? It happens because as the Fed starts raising rates, they are almost always doing that because the economy is hot, 
They're doing it because things feel good. Demand is strong. It's outstripping supply. Inflation is rising. We're late cycle. That is the definition of them trying to constrict capital in the economy because it's starting to overheat. They stop raising rates when it has stopped overheating, and then things start to turn around. The difference right now is that I think there are a larger number of market participants hoping that they can somehow also take the escalator back down and normalize rates without anything going terribly wrong. And Dan, to your point, there, there will be a lot to talk about, but one of the things, and I know I've mentioned this before on this show and on the pod, one of the things I try to think about really often is if I look back on this period, six to 12 months from now, how obvious is it going to seem that that was going to happen? So let's say we do have some kind of drawdown. Let's say we do have a recession. All of the indicators that you just mentioned, all of the things that we watch, I mean, PMIs this week were pretty bad. We've got three mm -hmm. quarters strung together of negative earnings growth. We've got consumer credit card debt. I mean, the list goes on and on of things that haven't broken it yet, but are out there as concerns. If we look back on this period, six to 12 months from now and say, oh, that's where it was. I think it would be pretty obvious that there was stress in the system and there were things waiting to turn in the other direction. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, going around the horn here, let's just do this to kind of put a put a, a pin in this whole thing. So, Guy, equities here, um, obviously we got to wait and see what happens with Apple, okay? But if Apple is, let's say, let's say it's not as bad as expected, and I, and I think we can all agree that um, sentiment's really poor as it relates to Apple right now, okay? Whether it's China, whether it's iPhone mm -hmm. 4, 15 demand, whether it's reshoring, whether it's whatever, okay? Um, so if equities were to move higher, um, based on Apple, you get a continuation. You're not chasing it, right? I don't like, think like, so. Like I mean, we'll go back to that original chart, that yeah. down channel yeah. of the S and P. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe we get to the upper yeah. end okay. of that down channel. I don't think you so, chase. No, so, there, so, you, there you are. Yeah. So you and I are in that camp, Liz, that that we would be fading the S and P. I don't have an equity index short on right now. Um, I think all of us were pretty clear, Liz. You and I started the week out on Monday on on the tape. We just again, we thought things felt a little bit overdone to the downside in the very near term, especially in front of a big week of earnings in the Fed. And here we are. We've had that bounce. I would be looking for an opportunity to kind of sell the S&P or the NASDAQ. What is your thought? This would be more in the near term. And then I want to just kind of like put a pin on, uh, on, on the bond move. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't short equities. I just want to make that clear to everybody. The, the thing that I would do along that vein is I sometimes go along the VIX if I think that there's going to be a spike in volatility. So um, I don't short equities, but yes, I would say that I think this is an opportunity. If there's stuff in the portfolio that you wish you would have sold before that last downdraft, this is an opportunity to finally unload it and make sure that you've got risk at a comfortable level. That being said, I also want to make sure that it's clear. I'm not saying get out of the market entirely. I do think that you can still hold and even build defensive positions. Utilities was the best performing sector in October. And I think we're going to see some of those defensive sectors still do okay, even if we have stress. I also think we're going to see yields come down further. So yes, I think this is a, a good opportunity to get rid of any risk that you wish you weren't holding mm -hmm. and make sure that you either put it in something that's earning a yield so you get paid while you wait or rotate into some sort of defensive sector positioning. Yeah. And people say, guy, we don't buy anything. We did a market call, I want to say three weeks ago, and we detailed some bullish trades that I was mm -hmm. doing in the XLP and the XLU. I mean, to me, they looked very overdone. And if they could pull up this XLP chart, guy, 
this thing I think still gets back to the breakdown level, like 71 or so. So I, I think there's another sort of 5% there. Um, I know that you were in agreement. So I, I agree with what Liz is saying um, on the defensive front um, and especially with what's been done to valuations. All right, guy, as far as yields in the near term, um, what do we think here? Because again, obviously a lot has to do with what happens tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, but um thoughts on you know this this move from five percent to four six three or whatever the hell yeah. we are right now how do you how do you trade the tlt right well here? i mean we we talked about it with carter earlier in the week i yeah. thought 88 and a half i think we got up to 87 30 yeah. or so today Close in the enough. tlt ish now i don't know i mean to be honest with you i'm not sure maybe eight and a half is right that probably coincides with 455 or so it all lines up with sort of the channels that we've outlined over the course of a lot of time so that would make sense. And we're looking at, I think, a TLT chart right there. So, yeah. you know, maybe 80, 88 and a half, 89, which again makes yields 10 years, 455 ish. Then it makes sense, I think, to look for yields to go higher again. All right, let's do this. This is the time, other than when Liz joins us on the Thursday market call, where Guy gets probably most mm. excited here. And somebody that... gave me a heads up on this last night on Twitter, by the way. Really? What? Yeah, because somebody. Well, somebody on Twitter, I think it might have been Jay Sloan or somebody said Love that, Jay. do you think Guy has any Wilson Phillips songs on his Spotify playlist? <laughs> and of course, we well, all know was, the answer. I mean, Liz, Liz crushed no. that. We actually just skated by that, the title, but we just <sighs> thought there's, there's so much going on here, Liz. We wanted to kind of, oh, there she is. Nobody there. likes yeah. Wilson Phillips. The people in Bridesmaids didn't like Wilson Phillips. Oh, that was such a good scene, though. That was a good scene. Such a good scene. I heard one of the best comedies of like this, you know, this last ten years. Bridesmaids. I mean, there are a number I love of that scenes. Kristen Wig. She's hysterical. She's, she's yeah, great. she's yeah. great. There's a scene when they go to the um, gown boutique. Yes, you recall <laughs> it just had sort of a luncheon yeah. at a sort of a sketch place and. Let's just say um, their constitutions didn't hold up particularly oh, wow. well. All right, I'm gonna have to go. To the Elizabeth, you know that movie was. You know that movie was. It was either filmed or it was intended to take place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Sure it was. Oh yeah. Fun fact. Um, all right, let's get to John Butters. He is the senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. He actually puts out his earnings insight blog every Friday morning. It can be in your inbox, but we get a preview of it on Thursday's market call. And I think it's an interesting day to be hitting this sort of data. Mm -hmm. And we're going to show you why the market is pus uh, punishing positive and negative EPS surprises more than average for Q3. The S&P 500 companies reporting positive EPS surprises have seen an average price decrease of 0.4%, which is smaller than the five-year average of 0.9% gain. S&P 500 companies reporting negative EPS surprises have seen an average price decrease of 5.8%, which is larger than the five-year average of 2.3%. These price reactions may be related to lower expectations for Q4 as EPS guidance and estimate revisions for Q4 have been more negative than average. And I just want to pull up a slide today of some of the biggest movers after earnings. And this kind of flies in the face a little bit of this data. But look, look at what's going on. Now, here's another theme, Liz, that I want to kind of mm -hmm. talk about with this right here. So when you're seeing a Roku down, you know, which is up 90% of the year, you know, up as much as it is mm -hmm. 30%, a, a Shopify. Okay. These were the names that were out of the gates. They were just screaming. They got absolutely destroyed last year when interest rates started going up. And we know why. So my question to you is, yes, expectations were low, despite these stocks being up a lot in the year, but they beat those expectations. Then you throw in the yield move that we have today and the, and the broader move in equities and we're YOLOing. It's, you know, everything's back on. 
Talk mm-hmm. to me about Butter's data and then what this says to you just today. Uh, okay, so obviously I'm not going to talk about any of those companies in particular. I do think the yield move has a lot to do with it. I also think that a lot of this rally this week has been some short covering. And if we think that this is a, a, a quarter where we're going to see some of the last good results or that maybe fourth quarter isn't going to be as good as we hoped before. Maybe there's people trying to make sure that they don't uh, end up on the wrong side. Who knows, right? I think more the interesting part of earnings season this time is that you've seen revisions come down. Now, we've said over and over again, it's too high for 2024. It's even too high for Q4. We've seen earnings revisions downward now of 5% for Q4. That's a big move. So the guidance has not been kind to a lot of stocks. And I would wait to lock in some of those gains or assume that those gains are going to stick around uh, until maybe this yield move calms down a bit, because I'm just, I'm not sold that only a handful of stocks will act differently than the rest of the market. And we're pretty far through earnings season. We're about 70% reported. So this would be a theme that stood out that suddenly these stocks got handsomely rewarded. Um, It could stick, but I'm skeptical. Yeah, I mean, if we, if this, for example, I'll just cherry pick Roku and you look at the move today and you look mm-hmm. at the move over the last couple of weeks, you're like, holy shit, look at this thing. Then you go back 10 years and you look at sort of the last year and a half, two years. I mean, that's a dramatic move. But if we were to broaden this out even farther than that, you will see a stock that's basically gone nowhere over the, and even go back, you know, keep going back yeah. and back and back. And you'll see you've had these moves to the upside, but. It's all I, I do think it's all interest rate related. So, yes, over the course of a couple of days, it looks remarkable. But over the longer term, I mean, we're effectively nowhere in so many of these names. So this is pretty amazing. Let's go to a one year chart for a second and then go to a five year chart. So to see this 30 percent gain. OK, um, this the stock is still down 84 percent right. from its all time highs made in 2021. OK, and, and the death rattle for the stock, when you look at that double top that we see was basically when the Fed said that they're going to start raising interest rates. So all these sorts of companies that, you know, were trading at ridiculous multiples, you know, just absolutely got killed. So just to put that in some context, I mean, even with today's gain, the stock is still down 84 percent from its all-time highs you may say well why do you care about where it was two years ago well l- listen our, our our memory of these sorts of stocks and, and those sorts of periods that some of these stocks will never ever ever go back mm-hmm. to those levels so um i don't know all right liz we appreciate you being with us here on a thursday you're going to be back with guy adami on the on the tape podcast Monday morning. So people go check that out and you're going to get everything uh, that Liz has to to offer to set you up for the training week next week. It's a great way to start the week. It really is. It's like bright and early. Bang, bang. Yep. Thanks, Liz. Have a great yep. weekend. There Thank you go. You. you can go to the sofi.com slash blog and you can get Liz's blog post. You should. Yeah, I you mean, should. I don't know if you, ha- if you haven't been doing it. I don't know. Where have been? Rock well, you used to say you know that what? if you're not following Liz on Twitter, it at Liz Young Strat, you're doing Twitter wrong? Either that or you've been spending too much time at Starbucks. Look at this chart. All right, I mean, let's do it. Look I, at this that, is that like that. Good segue. Oh, I I see what you, did you have a Starbucks today? No. Really? I don't get what? myself Starbucks. You get other people Starbucks. Yeah. We talked about that yesterday. Right. I go call. in. I know the people there, but I never get myself. All right, so let's let, let, let's talk about this. This is actually really interesting juxtaposition. All right, guys, throw up that other 
that list of all those stocks that are raging today after earnings, okay? And then if you look at like a Starbucks, one of the reasons why we didn't throw Starbucks' 10% move on there is just because from in market cap terms, it's much bigger. I think Dash is a, a pretty decent sized market cap though, guy. So let's go back to the Starbucks here. To see a move like of 10% in a Starbucks- Doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen too often. No. Um, so I mean, what, what was your takeaway on this? Well, one? I mean, I think, look, first of all, I didn't see this happening either. Let's just be crystal clear. I think there was obviously, I think China concerned a lot of people yep. for good. But, you know, if you come out and say the things that they said and people are now buying pricier, higher margin things, if people are on the wrong side of the, I mean, this looks remarkably similar to what we're seeing in the bond market. You know, everybody on one side of the equation, everybody wrong, and then everybody covering seemingly at the same time. I'm just pulling up the amount of volume Starbucks has traded today. You know, it's traded 12 million shares already, which mm -hmm. is more than two times normal volume at 1.30 in the afternoon, which means we're probably going to trade three, three and a half times normal volume. Do you get up to that sort of, I don't know, maybe one, 105-ish level, which was that recent high? Yeah, maybe we push up to there. But then again, you say valuation's a concern again. Yeah. So the valuation trap hasn't been, that hasn't been fixed. It's just been pushed off. I so, think. so interesting on the valuation front. I'm looking at a stock, um, a Starbucks that trades at about 24 times this yeah. year, about 21 times next. Okay, that's basically in in line with McDonald's. McDonald's is expected to have much lower EPS growth on the out year. Okay, six percent or so, and I think Starbucks is expected to have I don't know something in the, in the lines of um, 12 percent or something like that. I look at their margins. Okay, you know McDonald's. You know, their gross margins are about 58% versus a Starbucks at 68% or something like that. So I say to myself, you know what? There's been a few turns taken off this from a multiple mm -hmm. standpoint. It changed kind of cheap relative to his, his historical. It's always traded at, at like a, you know, a premium to the market and many of its peers. I don't know. Maybe it's fine. I'm not saying to buy it up 10% mm -hmm. or something like that. But again, I want it. This is a theme guy. You and I have hit a bunch. We probably traded less names in and around earnings this quarter because we were more Total interested and to hear what they had to yeah. say and the confidence in their visibility. And then that will help us kind of set the stage for into year end and into the new year. So as we're getting through, let's say three quarters of earnings season, um, you know, like Apple, like, again, I think this is going to be the one. It's going to be like the PS de resistance. Yeah, this, that, uh, no question that NVIDIA in a couple of well, more than a few yeah. weeks now. I mean, that's obviously going to tell a tale. But Apple, that's what everybody's waiting for. And I have no, again, I have no idea. It got down to 165. I thought it could get down to 161. I don't know if that's close enough. Now we're at sort of, if you look, that downtrend line, we're right at like, many things. Yeah. That downtrend line is still intact from July. Do we break through it and do we go raging higher? Well, we're going to find out. I mean, I guess it comes down to services. If services are somehow, I don't know, 22% of overall revenue, maybe the market then re-rates re them in terms of valuation. I just don't see it happening. All right. So, so let's just technically we see that. We see where it bounced. Um, the applied move in the options market is just, just below 4%. And I'm looking at the at the money um, straddle in the weekly. That's tomorrow's expiration, the 177.5 straddle. That'd be the call premium plus the put, put premium. It's basically about $6.5. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you just wanted to, again, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. The 177.5 puts are offered at $3.30. Okay. So that's basically less than, you know, 2% of the stock price. I mean, that's probably a cheap way to make that bet. If you thought the stock is going to actually beat and raise, which the street does not expect to happen, and it could have like a five 
plus percent move than paying a little less than 2% for a breakout. You know what I mean? Your break even is up at that 180 level, which is the prior high from just last month or something like that. That's not a bad way to do it. So usually at this stage of the earnings season, I don't think we could look at a name like Apple, which is obviously like a battleground sort mm -hmm. of stock in this market and say there are cheap ways to pick a direction into the print guy. There are, there are no right now. But, I mean, but, that but, is but the what cheapest I'm saying it gets. Is, but, but, that's yeah. what I'm saying. So like, like that's kind of really odd to me. So if you had conviction one way or another, I think playing it through options. Look, I mean, three and a half dollars, right? So 174, you break even. You're going to start to, yeah. if, if in fact that's what transpires, the stock goes lower, Vol's going to start to work in your favor. Yeah. I mean, it is a cheap way to view, to express a negative view in the stock post-earnings. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, um, I, I just want to mention one other name, um, and that would be the Tesla guy. Um, this is one that I think is kind of interesting because there's a guy on the Twitter who was actually on CNBC's Fast Money with us. He's a big bull. His name is Gary Black. Mm -hmm. He's actually a very smart guy, very thorough guy. Um, he's bullish when the stock's going up. He's bullish when it's going down right. on the stock. He's actually actually had some interesting things about say about the fundamentals and the company's strategy, which flies in the face of someone who's a staunch bull. But you can do, look, just look at that, guy. So look where it stopped. It stopped basically at the breakout level from the spring, that cluster of the highs mm -hmm. late last year, you know, it, it, it's basically stopped where it should have. So one of the reasons that I find this interesting, let's see how a stock like this closes. Let's see what sort of follow through. I think that this is going to be testing last week's lows in the not so distant future, because I don't think that this interest rate move, while Elon Musk has spent a lot of time focused on higher interest rate and what it means to finance the cars, I think it has something more to do with the fundamentals of this company that have been deteriorating all year. But again, I just wanted to bring that up. That's a big move, 5.5%. People are piling back into it. But it was also down 30%, I think, at its recent lows from those highs. Not coincidence that his yields have gone lower. Actually, I mean, if you think about it, Elon Musk probably top-tick yeah. rates in terms of some of the commentary he made about rates being detrimental to their business. And the stock has bounced since. So it does make sense. Could you fill that little gap that we see sort of on uh, if you look over right at the end of the chart? Yeah, I guess maybe if this tape continues, but I'm sort of with you on this one. This is going to oh, start to get long in the tooth as well. I got one other thing. Um, let's pull up Amazon really quickly. Okay, this stock went up in a straight line here. I'm looking at a put spread. I want to look at December expiration in this one. Look at look at this look at this parabolic move since its earnings here. And I want to look at the December, probably like the 135, 120 guy. What mm -hmm. do you what do you think about those levels I'm as they pull up the now. prices? As they pull up the prices here, and I look at those kind of 135s and deck. Um, they're offered at 430. Okay. And so I'm paying 430. If you're buying the 145 or 135 and you're paying 430 your break even is down just below 131 mm -hmm. but i almost want to turn that into a put spread by selling the 120 at like a dollar so i would have a 15 wide the december 135 120 put spread paying about three dollars for that that would break even at 132 and you can make up to 12 dollars between 132 and 120 on december expiration that's a pretty good risk reward yeah i think so and you're getting paid enough i think on the 120 yeah. puts that you're selling yeah. to sort of do that and then you get sort of you know what you have a defined risk and you're basically saying you know what i'd be willing to buy a stock at a certain level which i think it all makes sense i mean that that's a trade where you know you're you're again you're taking some of the premium off by selling the 120s yeah. and it actually you probably get that sweet spot somewhere around 123 to 125 is my sense. Yeah, and just to be clear, I was just quoting the December 22nd, so I might give it a, another week there a little bit. But either way, looking to basically pay about three bucks um, 
for a put spread that would capture, let's say, about 10% of the move lower in this thing with a break even down a few percent. So Amazon's one that is on my radar and be looking to do that. All right, guy, we covered a lot of ground. Here a today. lot of ground. Apple today. Good luck with that. We'll be on Fast Money. Yeah, Stuart will. Sop from Current's going to be joining oh, yeah. us. Uh, check out our podcast, which drops at your favorite podcast store on Fridays. That'll be the On The Tape podcast. David Rosenberg, Danny Moses. We had a great conversation. So we did. That'll be that good. And check us out on the gram. Oh, yeah. Wait, what are you? Your guy dot adopt. Are they going to have a graphic for us? I thought we were working on a graph. There you go. Oh, look they at have that. It. Look at that. Look Dan at S. All. Nathan, risk reversal. Wait, who's that guy in the middle? I don't know. Does he? Oh, oh, oh that's Mark Zuckerberg. So What's he, he works with us? No, now? we're just hanging out with Zuck. So I am Dan S. Nathan. Mm -hmm. We're going to put a lot of content. We're going to start really jamming our, our Instagram. And guy, your guy. Are we allowed Adami. to do that? I mean, was he going to get mad at us? No, he's fine. Look at, look, look we at got, we have him smiling. He looks better than we do up there. We get, did, so? we, I mean, people get kicked off at things for less. Oh, I got kicked off of Twitter for less. Uh, yeah. So then definitely also follow our Risk Reversal Media Instagram. So it's Guy Dadami, Dan S. Nathan, Risk Reversal Media. We're on the Insta with Mark Zuckerberg. Check right. it out, peeps. All right, we'll see you later. Bye.